You know, America is a unique place, isn't it? It's a unique place. Uh, Only in America can pizza get to your house faster than an ambulance. Only in America are the handicapped parking places in front of a skating rink. Only in America do drugstores make the sick walk all the way to the back to get their prescriptions, while healthy people can buy suntan lotion up front. Only in America do people order double cheeseburgers, large fries, and a Diet Coke. Only in America do we leave cars worth thousands of dollars in the driveway and fill our garages with worthless junk. I like this one. Only in America do we have Braille on drive-up ATM machines. Only in America do we use answering machines to screen calls, a little dated, and have call waiting so we won't miss a call from someone we didn't want to talk to in the first place. And only in America do we buy hot dogs in packages of 10 and buns in packages of 8. How about that? Somebody can figure that out. But America is uh, truly a unique place. Uh, I think we all could be in agreement and understand that when we talk about the United States, that we recognize that the United States is not a perfect country. And if you are longing for a perfect country, there's only one perfect country, and that is yet to arrive with the Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. Heaven is the only place that is perfect, and America is not perfect, but in spite of its lack of perfection, it's amazing how many people still want to live in America. To my knowledge, there is not an immigration problem in North Korea. There's not an immigration problem in Iran. Uh, There's not an immigration problem in China. People are wanting to get out of those nations and come to freedom. And I believe this, that what separates our nations from so many other nations that have existed, and the United States is a young country, 244 years old. That's young when you compare it to some of the civilizations around the world that have existed. But what separates our nation from so many others, I believe, is the fundamental reason is that its strength and preservation can only be due to God's amazing grace. That's the only reason. Regardless of what maybe historical revisionists want us to believe... America was founded based upon Christian ideals and biblical values. Imperfect, yes, by imperfect people. You know, we've got to realize that our founding fathers were not saints. You're not a saint. I'm not a saint. They are imperfect. But yet, I think it would uh, be uh, uh, total... Uh, denial to say that there was not the overarching understanding and desire to establish a nation upon certain values that are codified in the Bible, in the Word of God. Again, imperfect people, but yet that is a part of our history. Think about when the Puritans went and landed on Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts, 
first thing they did was they kneeled and praised God and dedicated this new colony to the glory of God. Uh, in writing the government policies of Pennsylvania, William Penn said, quote, all treasurers, judges, and all elected officials professed faith in Christ. Now, am I naive enough to believe that they were all perfectly professing Christians? But I want you to see that the ideal of the nation was that this would be a radical experiment, not only in constitutional freedom, but remember what they were leaving, what our founding fathers were leaving. They were abandoning a tyrannical country that demanded a conformity that tried to enslave people and not give them the freedoms that God had given all of us uh, as his as creator. Patrick Henry, who was the first governor of Virginia, I think this quote's on the screen, he was a member of the Continental Congress, and I like what he said here, Patrick Henry, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians, not on religions but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a governor, let alone Virginia, my home state, saying that? In 1782, the United States Congress passed a law, a resolution recommending and approving the Bible's use in all of the public schools. Now, we have abandoned that, and I just asked the question, how's that going so far? Not so good. And as a result of our Christian foundation of laws and governance that underlied the, the founding and the uh, desire of politicians and laws, uh, I believe that we can attribute still the blessings of God because of that uh, early desire of those who founded this nation. Do you realize that uh, since the War of 1812, a foreign army had never invaded us until September 11, 2001, when for the first time we had to defend on our own soil our homes and our way of life? That's really unheard of in any other nation around the world of God's protection. So as we celebrate... July 4th weekend. I know July 4th was yesterday, so calling this July Independence Day weekend. We're celebrating and enjoying that. Uh, as we celebrate that, I believe our nation is in trouble. I believe our nation is in trouble, but I believe its greatest hope are the people who know God. I believe that God still has a people that is here in this country that still believes in the principles of the Word of God, and I believe that God has still given us time uh, to do what we do best, and that's trust Him and believe God to turn our nation around. I think most of us have lived long enough to know that electing the right people into office can only do so much, and I believe that's important. I'd rather have people that have more right than craziness, wouldn't you? Okay, I, I just think that's a good thing, right? But when you look at the Word of God, and we always look at that passage in uh, 2 Chronicles uh, 7, and, and I realize these are written to Israel, but I, I also believe that there is a general underlying principle that God never refuses the prayer of repentance. 
Did that shock you? Let me say it again. God will never refuse a prayer of repentance who those that want to change and turn from their wicked ways. God desires and and extends mercy and grace and is always welcoming, whether it's an individual or it's a collective group of people of a nation that want to turn from their rebellious ways and turn to him. I believe that the word of God is clear that he wants that. That's what he is doing. He wanted it with his nation of Israel. And I believe that whether I was standing and pastoring a church in Ghana or India or Pakistan or Germany, I would be still saying that to these citizens and saying that we as a people of this nation need to turn to God for his help and his mercy. So I understand that these are principles for Israel, but the principle is the same and universal. I just I don't really have a text this morning as I usually do. It's a little different. But I just uh, have Jeremiah. I'll just use that to start off with in Jeremiah 18 in verse 7 and 8. Prophet Jeremiah is calling the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. You know, if you know a little bit about history, the nation is split in half. Uh, The northern kingdom has already been plundered by Assyria, and Judah, the southern kingdom that was composed primarily of two tribes that didn't abandon and go to Samaria or the northern kingdom after Solomon uh, died and his son Rehoboam took power. But this nation of Judah, where Jerusalem is located, was facing and was going to face uh, an invasion by Babylon, and that would be when they would be scattered and taken into captivity. And Jeremiah the prophet says, by the word of the Lord, this is in where he goes down to the potter's house in Jeremiah 18, and the Lord gives this prophet a message for the nation. And verse 7 says, the Lord says, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, now look at verse 8, and if that nation, he doesn't necessarily say just, you know, Judah, the, Israel, He said, and if that nation, any nation or kingdom that I have warned, what, repents of its evil, then the Lord says, I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. God is desirous to show mercy and grace. And I believe that is still true today. But if we abandon that and refuse And the Bible also says in Galatians chapter 6 that God is not mocked and that whatsoever one sows, that they will also reap. Listen, America's answer is not tearing down statues. America's answer is tearing down the idols of our hearts. That's the answer. And so this morning I want us to look at this message that I believe the Lord would have us to hear today. The title of the message is Decision 2020, and three decisions every Christian in America must make. And these are things that only Christians really can do. They're not complete, but I think they capsulize principles that I believe are important as Christians living in this country. And as I said, if we were living in another country... They probably could and would be preached the same way. But we have, again, a unique history that cannot be denied, imperfect and flawed. And let me just say that if you want to go back and find perfection 
and anybody in the past, don't read your Bibles. Because God puts people in there that were murderers, polygamists, thieves, and liars. But you know what this book is a testimony of? Just like even in our own history, it's a testimony of God's redemptive grace. How would you like your history for us to go back and judge you, which you did when you were in high school? And that reflect the entirety of your entire life. So again, can we look at an Abraham or a David or anybody or the Apostle Paul and not say that was a flawed human being who committed great sin, but yet great sinners need a great Savior, and we have one in Christ. And so this morning, I want us just to briefly look at these three decisions that we need to make as we open up the Word of the Lord today and consider this decisions Decision 2020. Number one, first question is, what will you prioritize? What will you prioritize? We need to prioritize our allegiance as Christians. Remember, we are first Christians before we are Americans. We have an ultimate, an ultimate allegiance to the king of kings and lord of lords that supersedes any laws of the land. And when those laws conflict, even as we saw in the book of Acts, where they said we must obey God rather than men, our allegiance is to God, and we need to keep that in mind. As much as patriotic devotion is wonderful and great, it does not equal or eclipse our devotion to God. So first, that's our allegiance. Let's make sure that we understand that. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we need to be reminded of that. We also need to prioritize what our agenda is. There's a lot of things that America needs right now. There's a lot of things on the agenda. I mean, the list is, is amazing. There's moral issues, abortion, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, all those moral issues, economic issues, political issues, education, social, racism, profiling and discrimination, and all those things are still with us, energy issues. I mean, is there not an agenda? But let's remember, for the Christian and the church, we have our own agenda. And these other agendas only serve to advance the ultimate agenda that the believer has. And that agenda was given to us by our king when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Our agenda is not just, and as citizens we should be involved, and I think that's good. But remember, we're, we're talking about our priorities. Sometimes you get talking to people who are Christians, and they are so enamored on one political spectrum, they forget what our agenda is. And our agenda is Christ and the gospel. And we always have to make sure that that is paramount in our focus. And I believe that God's Word does speak clearly and directly about some of these issues. But I have yet to find a verse of Scripture that tells me about fossil fuels. I can't find a verse regarding trade policy. I haven't found a verse of Scripture that tells me about farmer subsidies. So do you understand that 
God's word is clear, and we need to be focused on the right agenda. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is what? The power of God. We need to make sure our priority is not only in our allegiance and our agenda, but also our affections, where our heart is, our life's focus. There's a lot of things that I love about America, but none of those things are eternal. None of those things are going to last forever. Jesus said that our affection should be upon one thing when he says, but seek first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. So my, my political understanding should be that which promotes God's righteousness, not tries to be a substitute for God's righteousness, but my understanding of issues politically are that which is going to promote the greatest good of our culture, but also for as, for as a Christian, what will enable me and the church to have the greatest freedom to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to make sure that our priorities in order. But there's a second question that Christians in America need to we need to ask ourselves is will you participate? Will you participate? It's one thing to have all these lofty thoughts and opinions and ideals, but will you participate? Participate how? What about our interaction? Number one, our interaction, that means our voices. We live in a, in a country that by its very desire, design calls for the interaction, the voices of its citizenry. And when we're not engaged in that, I believe that we are failing as good citizens. We need to become educated about the issues. And I think you're smart enough to know to make sure that where you're getting your information. You know, people say, well, I don't want bias. Let me tell you something. I don't know about you. I can't find anybody or anywhere that doesn't have some bias about something. As I stand before you today, I have bias. And it's coming out even though I'm trying to keep it in. I am a biased person. I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I believe Jesus Christ is the only way to God. I am biased, right? But you know what I'm saying is that there are some things that you know I'm talking about on this side and that side. You know that whatever is coming through is coming through that filter. So don't look for some pristine, perfect, perfect uh, uh, dissemination of knowledge. B, here's, here's something the Bible tells us and gives us a tool. Exercise discernment. How about that? Exercise discernment. It's okay. Listen, I read things that are contrary to what my bias is. You know why? Because I don't want to fall in a ditch of just thinking or not considering this side or that side. Now, sometimes I'll read and listen, and it'll make me irritated, but I just have to stop and think, why is it irritating? Is there truth here? And can, I, can I seek the discernment of the Spirit? If you're just kind of reading and getting information from just kind of one narrow source, you may need to consider and allow the Holy Spirit to be your filter and not some talk show host or public opinion. Listen, the unbelieving world is shouting a message. And I believe that our voices need to be heard. We have a message. We have a message of truth. If we do not stand, if we do not stand for God's truth, who will? I mean, really. And I know you've heard messages like this before, but 
not you, me, we need to be reminded that this is still viable. It's so easy to get cynical. And I know people that just get cynical. And they just kind of are cynical about everything around us and everything that is happening. You see why it's important to come and, and just be reminded by God's word is to not fall into that ditch of cynicism and feel like everything is hopeless. Listen, God is a God of hope. He is a God of hope for my life. He's a God of hope for your life. He's a God of hope for your family. It, when we just give up and figure it's all over, then you know what? We will self-fulfill that prophecy, and it will be all over. I'm not there yet, and I don't want to be there yet. God expects us to use for his purposes, remember what our agenda is, the freedom our founders made possible and for which they have died. Now, I know some people, and you hear this, and they, you know, anytime Christians want to engage in the public forum, you know, they'll cry out about church and state. Do you realize the whole, first of all, church and state, that phrase is not in any of the constitutional documents. You do know that? Do you realize that the whole concept of a separation of church and state was a statement uh, by Baptists, no less, that wanted to make sure that this new experiment called the United States of America did not fall into the tyranny of where we came from, of England, that there would not be a state church governing and regulating and us paying taxes to provide priests and ministers and uh, to a state church that was controlled by an immoral king and government that they wanted freedom to exercise and worship God based upon the Bible and the Word of God, that that idea of church and state, I think uh, interesting that it's often attributed to something Thomas Jefferson said, and he did say it, but notice also something else he said in this uh, quote uh, by Thomas Jefferson. Notice what he said. He said, the First Amendment, you remember the First Amendment, that Congress will make no laws in the establishment of religion? He says, the First Amendment has created a wall of separation between church and state, but that wall is a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. You see, understand what that is doing. And, but unfortunately, many Christians have been lulled and intimidated by this idea that if you're a Christian, you are not allowed to speak into the affairs of the culture and life. And that is just simply not true. It's interesting that the day after Congress ratified the First Amendment, Congress proclaimed a day of prayer and fasting. Isn't that interesting? The day that they ratified that amendment about religion, that the government won't have an official religion, that they called for a day of prayer and fasting. So what about our, our interaction, but also our influence? How do we influence? We influence by voting. But you realize it is a shock when you begin to look at the statistics concerning voting. I got a book, little book this week by Richard Lee that was <coughs> sent to me, and he had something I thought was worth noting. He says, according to a broad survey from MyFaithVotes.com, 25 million American Christians who are registered to vote don't vote. They have no voice and no influence on where the nation is headed. 
with over 80,000 local and state elections taking place across the nation in this election year, it's frightening to realize how close some of those state and local elections have been. Last year, elections took place in 87 of the nation's state legislative districts, representing nearly 82% of all state legislative seats nationwide. Out of those 99 races, 88 of them were decided by less than 0.5%. In fact, 18 of those elections were decided by 10 or fewer votes. Two, two elections were decided by a single vote. He says, it is important to remember that it is not about personalities. It's about principles. It's about voting for men and women who stand for the beliefs and values that will keep America strong. Therefore, every vote matters. But we have no chance if we don't show up. If you're not registered to vote, my goodness, they made it so easy. It's harder to get a burrito at Taco Bell than to register. Register and vote. That is a good citizen and a godly thing to do. We have an influence, but I think the way we participate as Christians to keep our priorities is not just by our interaction and our influence, but by our intercession. Let's don't underestimate prayer. We need to pray for our leaders. Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2? He said, first of all then, I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then he says in verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, we need to pray for our leaders. Whether you like them or voted for them, it doesn't make any difference. You realize when Paul wrote this, you realize who was in power was a bunch of pagans in Rome? And what does he say? Pray. Listen, God can slip a Daniel right in the middle of a bunch of pagans anytime he wants. God is, God is the one who puts kings in power, and he's the one that brings them down. And we need to, people, we need to be people who pray. And I, know, I, mean, I mean pray for our leaders. Pray for our mayor, our governor. Pray for God's will to be done in their life. But not only do we need to intercede, participate by interceding for our leaders, but we participate by intercession for America's laws. Remember Micah 6.8? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Wouldn't that be great if that was at the beginning of every law that was ever established, our priority? God is a God of justice and he's a God of mercy and God wants us to exude laws that reflect his values of grace and mercy and justice. Ben Franklin, who wasn't questionable whether he was a Christian by biblical definitions, most of these guys were what are called deists, but they did believe in a supreme being and did operate in a, in a philosophical sense on biblical principles. But he said this, and I thought it was interesting that Ben Franklin, he said, gentlemen, and this was something at a debate of the Declaration of Independence of how it should be written, and Ben Franklin, who was instrumental to that, said, gentlemen, if it is true... If it is true that not one single petal 
from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us therefore determine to seek his face. Ben Franklin, who is not necessarily in line with exactly the way we understand Christianity, recognized that if we profess profess a sovereign God, we need to depend on him to secure and direct us as a nation. Has that changed? Has that changed at all? Of course not. And wouldn't it be great if our Congress, I know they have a perfunctory chaplain and open up in kind of a scripted prayer, but wouldn't it be an amazing thing if C-SPAN or whoever was covering these things, they interrupted and said, I don't know what's going on, but look at the Congress, the Senate, the congressmen. Uh, many of them are on their knees praying and seeking God's direction. Can you imagine what that would be? You remember after 9-11, just the demonstration of, of camaraderie and union of uh, Democrats and Republicans on the, port, on the steps of the Capitol and the unity that, that was exhibited, would that last about 72 hours, right? And they realized, wait a minute, we, we're supposed to hate each other. We can't do this. Well, until that happens, they won't pray, but guess what? We must pray. We must pray. And so the question is, what will we prioritize? Will we prioritize God's agenda? Will we participate? But there's a third question that Christians in America need to ask, and that is, will you purify? Now, let me make sure there's no misunderstanding. Only Jesus Christ purifies us through the gospel, all right? Let's make sure we're not mixing things up. Uh, Titus 2.14, you may want to write that down. says, Jesus, who gave himself for us, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness to what? Purify for himself. We're only purified through the shed blood of Christ, through the, the atonement of Jesus Christ. But there is an aspect that I think James, and this is more of where I'm thinking in James 4.8, that speaks about as part of our sanctification, we are called to purify ourselves. He says, draw near, this is James, draw near to God, for he will draw near to you. And this is something we do. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. So how do I, how do I walk in, in a, and make a decision that I'm going to purify some things? Let me give you a couple of examples. One, we, is we need to purify our conduct. Now, you've heard me say this before, and you've heard, and you've said it before, that sometimes the hindrance of Christians being taken seriously is Christians. Hello? And so our conduct, remember a familiar passage that oftentimes we use in these type of messages, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, reflects the Jeremiah passage I read earlier. The Lord says, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, turn from their wicked ways. And he says, I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, that we need to make some changes in our conduct, in how we operate. Christians should model godliness in their attitudes, in their ethics, in what they do. I think it's, again, remember Jesus reminded us, in Matthew, it's not on the screen, but he says, let your light shine, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that, what is that light? That light 
is reflecting the light of the gospel, reflecting Christ. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and do what? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, be salt. Salt isn't just for taste, but also salt was used as a preservative to keep things from spoiling. Think about it. I think one of the things that still is holding this nation together is that there still is a remnant of believers that are preserving this nation from coming apart at the seams. Not only should we be reminded to purify our conduct, to act like Christians, we need to purify our conversation. And this includes social media. This includes what we repost and people, we don't think twice about it. We just think that's good. Guilty as charged, been guilty. There's times I've done something, said something, and the Lord, Holy Spirit will just say, get it off of there. One, nobody cares what you think. And secondly, that can be mis- misapplied. And so just take it down, remove it. In fact, about a month ago, I, I, I tended to use Twitter more than anything, and I just one day, I was looking at something, and I was getting all riled up about something I really didn't care about. And you know what? I just, I just canceled my account. I just said, I'm not going to do this. I don't need this. It's not essential because of the way that it was affecting me and the way that it was affecting the way I might respond over something that doesn't matter or to say something volatile in what, you know, 15 or so, you know, we don't need that. We need to be careful in how we use social media. And I think uh, the passage in Colossians 4 is a good reminder, and I have the New Living Translation for us. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, your social media, be gracious and attractive. Here's here's the so that again. So that you will have the right response for everyone. I have, you know, I post, listen, it's okay to have opinions. This is America, you know, let's enjoy all that. But we just have to use wisdom, don't we? Okay, we're not saying don't have an opinion. And so many times, you know, I might post something I think is, you know, listen, I live in America, I'm a pastor, but you know what, I'm a citizen, and I have the right to post things, and I, again, I'm preaching to myself here, be careful. But sometimes, believe it or not, there will be people that don't like or agree with my opinions. Isn't that shocking? That is, I am am just, I could be offended by that. And you know what, my immediate is, "Eh, I'm going to come back, you know? And I've learned, one, it's okay not to do anything. Just let it be. And it's okay just to say, okay, thanks. You don't have to be the last word on everything there is to say. And I think we get tripped up in that. All right, enough preaching at you on that. But I think we need to be reminded if there's a purification is to make sure that we have an undiluted commitment to the principles and things that America was founded upon, principles of freedom, glorifying God, honoring God. I believe those are things we need to kind of 
sift and purify our commitment and recognize that American Christians, let me clarify this, we do need to fight for this. But remember what Paul reminded us in 2 Corinthians 10.4 about fighting as believers. He said, for the weapons of our, our warfare are not carnal. The New Living Translation says, they're not worldly weapons, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Listen, remember when Peter started to take his sword out and he wasn't going to let him arrest Jesus? Remember what Jesus said? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, that doesn't mean you go off and live in a monastery and just check out of life. It just means the origins of my kingdom didn't originate with this world. So it's not going to be won by conquering nations. Unfortunately, Christians, and I wouldn't say they're even real Christians, even though, have you come to realize that just because somebody uses the word Christian, they may not be a Christian? No matter if they got a cross on their logo or their shield as they're wielding a sword, that doesn't mean that represents Christianity. Hello? All right? But unfortunately, in history, there have been those that thought that they could represent God by killing and conquering civilizations and people and establishing a physical kingdom. No, 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 no. It was a disaster. It will always be a disaster. That's why I'm hesitant to use the phrase Christian nation because I think it implies something that's not accurate. You hear what I'm saying? Don't, don't panic and freak out on me. I'm just saying that it implies something I don't think. That's why I say that a nation that was founded upon biblical principles, there will not be a Christian nation until Christ, the King, as I said, is ruling and reigning upon his throne. Hello? Okay? So that's why I'm, I, I'm careful in making sure you understand that we were founded on biblical principles and ideals by imperfect people that had a desire for a perfect nation that they themselves could not bring to pass, but that was their desire, and I believe God honored that desire. And as a nation, one of the things I think we should celebrate is not in tearing down our past, but in recognizing our failures of our past and how, by God's grace, we've been able to move forward redemptively and change. Isn't that, isn't that true of just us personally? I mean, isn't that Christianity just for my life, that I'm not what I was, but I am who God has made me and is making me? Isn't that, isn't that true as Christians? Why should that not be true as a nation? Let me read you and just came across this and I thought it was worth reading as I close and I have most of it on the screen by Max Lucado. Everybody know who Max Lucado is? <clears throat> and I'll, uh, I'll, if you want, I'll put this on the website tomorrow if you want to. So just listen. Max Lucado wrote this called America, You Exist by my power. Listen to what he says, and we'll close with this. He says, every national privilege can be traced back to the hand of God. 
If we have liberty, we can thank the one who came to, and as Luke 4.18 says, proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If we enjoy a robust economy or a high tide of justice, we don't limit our thanks to senators of the Supreme Court. We thank God. God makes the boundaries. He determines the leaders. He dispenses the blessings. And America exists by the power of God. Can we afford to forget this? Can we afford to sever this single silver strand that supports the whole framework of our republic? Recall what God said through the prophet in Ezekiel 39.29. I will demonstrate my glory among the nations. God does not need the United States in order to advance his cause. He lobbies no country and depends on no government. Quoting from Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet wrote, No, for all the nations of the world are nothing in comparison with him. They are but a drop in the bucket, dust on the scales. He picks up the islands as though they had no weight at all. The nations of the world are as nothing to him. In his eye they are less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. Max Lucado says, Suppose, just suppose God's glory... God's glory became America's prayer and priority. Quoting Psalm 115, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Suppose our elected officials daily asked, How can we honor God in our decisions? How can this school introduce students to God? How can this army promote the name of God? Remember who manages the hearts of rulers? Who prompts the decisions of kings? God does. And God can change a nation. For that reason, we must pray. Pray with all our hearts that America would turn back to God. Psalm 79.9 says it well. Help us, O God our Savior, for the glory, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we are <clears throat> certainly mindful, God, of the great needs that we have in our country, and it's not something we should just talk about once a year as we celebrate the birthday of this nation. And perhaps, Father, as we reflect on our nation, we sometimes can fall into a cynicism like we, own do, we do with our own life, where we are much more aware and conscious of our own failures and sins than that where your grace has shined the brightest. Lord, in spite of our shortcomings, personally and collectively as a people, Lord, can we honestly say that this world would be better off if the United States never existed? Can we really say that evil and tyranny would not be deterred had this nation stood in the gap in so many ways throughout this history. 